Welcome to the Crossing Church Podcast. This week, we continue our series, Can We Talk About This?, with a message titled, You Can't Cancel Kindness. We hope you enjoy this weekend's message. Can you keep that applause going as we welcome our South Shore campus tuning in live, Plant City campus, and everyone watching online and around the world? We're so glad you're here. So glad you guys are here. Wow, this is an awesome, awesome crowd here at the Tampa campus. Everybody stay for Baptism Blowout across campuses. Amen? Come on, give it up one more time. Baptism Blowout happening right after service. It's so fun. It's going to be a great time. As always, it's an honor to speak on the stage. I want to thank our lead pastors, Pastor Greg, Pastor Tamer, for this opportunity and for leading this church. Can you show them your appreciation as well? Thank you, pastors. We love you. Now listen, who knows what this Wednesday is? Anybody know? Okay, there was like a dozen of you. Let's try it again. What is happening this Wednesday? It's first Wednesday, and you have got to invite some friends. We have a very special guest. His name is Lucas Miles. I had the honor of hearing him speak a couple months ago. Brilliant, brilliant man. Really has his finger on the pulse of what's going on in culture. So he's going to come teach about some of the ideas, cultural Marxism that's entering culture, and even entering the American church, and what we should do about it in response. So invite a friend. Come out to first Wednesday. It's going to be a great, great service. Well, we're continuing our series that we've titled, Can We Talk About This? Can we talk about this? And increasingly, I I think our culture is making it clear the answer is no. (laughs) We can't talk about this. And today we're going to talk about cancel culture and the idea that once an idea is presented to culture, they don't like it, if they disagree with it, they just don't want to hear about it ever again. You know, our task is clear. There was a recent Uh, research done by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. They did an America worldview study, and they came up with a couple results that I think are startling. Number one, they found that parents of preteens, if you're a parent and you have a child under the age of 13, parents are claiming that they are in a state of spiritual distress as American adherence to biblical Christianity fades even in the churches. And the study claims that a tragic crash is coming as a result of this situation if nothing is done. And the reason why they found is because parents are not devoted to teaching a biblical worldview to their children because they don't really possess it themselves. So listen, as parents, as those of you who may not have kids, but you have people in your circle of influence, we need to stand firm. We need to understand what a biblical worldview means and then actually live it out so that we can teach those around us. Amen? Because what is the culture telling us? Culture says feelings are our guide. What you feel is right. Pleasure and fame are the highest good. And if you tell me I'm wrong, you're canceled. I don't want to hear it. So how do we deal with this? How can we enter into a culture where we want to spread the truth, preach the gospel, but we're coming against those who ardently disagree, even hate what they hear when they hear the gospel? Well, what happened to the person of Jesus? You know, Jesus was actually canceled multiple times. This is not a new thing, believe it or not. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is literally in his hometown, and he's trying to spread the truth, preach the gospel, and watch what happens. Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 24. Jesus says, I assure you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And when they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove Jesus out of town, brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. That's a permanent cancellation, if you know what I mean. 
His own hometown tried to cancel him, and even more so, his own disciples at one point canceled him. In John chapter 6, starting with verse 60, it says, Therefore many of Jesus' disciples heard this. They said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, he asked them, Does this teaching offend you? And from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Even his own disciples canceled him. And this is what we experience today. So how do we engage? How do we engage in discussion and conversation even with those who disagree with us? Well, we have another picture from Jesus' life. He actually had a relationship with a man called Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a Jewish leader at the time, and the Jews disagreed with what Jesus was teaching. The Jews believed that Jesus was a blasphemer claiming that he was God. And yet Jesus had a relationship with this man called Nicodemus that opened the door to spread the truth. And so I want to examine this relationship. If you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, I would like you to go to the book of John. We're going to read a few verses from the book of John, the fourth gospel. And John chapter 3, we see the first encounter with Jesus and the man of Nicodemus. John chapter 3, starting with verse 1. There was a man from the Pharisees, the religious leaders, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. I want you to realize that Nicodemus is taking a great risk. His peers, the fellow Jewish leaders, they would probably cancel Nicodemus for interacting with Jesus. And yet Nicodemus chooses to go out of his way and meet with this Jesus Christ. That's the beginning of their relationship, Jesus and Nicodemus. And we don't get a lot of information in between, but I want to show you briefly how the relationship comes to a close. Nicodemus becomes some kind of friend with Jesus because in John chapter 19, after Jesus is crucified, where do we find Nicodemus? John chapter 19, verse 38 after this, meaning after Jesus died on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple, secretly because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission. He took the body away. And who is there? Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who had previously come to Jesus at night, also came. Nicodemus, this religious leader whose peers would have hated Jesus. Nicodemus brings a mixture of 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. And then they, Joseph and Nicodemus, took Jesus' body, wrapped it in linen with aromatic spices according to the burial custom of the Jews. Nicodemus, this man who was part of the Jewish leaders who should have hated Jesus, somehow has an encounter with Jesus Christ. And then we see him wrapping Jesus' body after the crucifixion. I wonder what could have happened to make Nicodemus come to Jesus in that moment. If you're taking notes, and we always encourage you to do, the title for today's message is this. You can't cancel kindness. You can't cancel kindness. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your presence here and at all of our campuses with everyone watching online. I pray you speak to us. Use me even now, speak through me, and I pray we hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, before cancel culture was a thing, you probably interacted with the word cancel in this way. Maybe you were working at your computer and you remember seeing a little window like this. You're trying to close a file and it's like, yes, no, yes to all, no to all, or cancel. Some of you just get stressed seeing this, right? 
It's like, what do I, I don't even know what to choose. I just cancel. Or maybe you feel like this next guy. I kind of feel like this. If there's a close icon on the window, why is there also a cancel button? Why is there an X and a cancel? Do they do the same thing? Are they different? I don't know. Or maybe you feel like this last woman. I feel so bad for her. Is, do you save changes to the document? Yes, no, cancel. I'm not sure. I just don't even know. I'm too stressed. I can't deal with it. You know, those are funny examples of what we might react to in dealing with a computer. But it's interesting. I think the culture, when they are approached with an idea they don't understand or an idea they don't like, they also default to cancel. I don't understand this idea. I don't understand this Jesus you're talking about. It goes against what I want to do, so I'm going to cancel this. I'm going to cancel this idea. If you don't know, canceling is when culture sees someone says something or someone does something, maybe even makes a stand for Christ, and culture says, we actually don't want to hear from you ever again. We don't want to hear your ideas. We don't want to hear what you have to say. You are canceled. And this is growing in number. And the root problem is really this. As a culture, as Americans, we don't know how to disagree anymore. We don't know how to disagree and still have a conversation. We can't disagree and at least be civil or kind to one another. A recent survey from Pew Research Center said 50% of adults, half of adults in America, have stopped discussing politics with anyone. Okay, maybe it's like 90%. Let's be real. Like, I'm not, not doing it. just don't want to talk about it. And I understand you don't want to get Thanksgiving dinner focusing around politics. I get it. But when we talk about ideas, we have to stand for truth. Not in an angry way, not in a pushy way, but we have to stand firm. 64% of Americans in a Harvard business poll said that they fear that a growing cancel culture is a threat to their freedom. Growing cancel culture is a threat to their freedom. You know, it's funny. You even see this from celebrities online and on social media. They say, if you don't like what I have to say, just unfollow me. Just don't even follow me. I don't even want you following me. Imagine if Jesus had said that. But thankfully, he doesn't. Jesus says, here's the truth. Follow me. Everyone is welcome. Everyone can follow Jesus who desires it. So how do we do this? How do we engage in conversation with people that most likely disagree, our coworkers, our peers, but actually share the gospel effectively? Number one, we must do it with trust and candor. We must do it with trust and candor. One of my favorite books is called Creativity, Inc. Creativity, Inc. is the book about Pixar, how Pixar came to be, how it started, how they make some of their films. And in the book, they talk about two elements that are necessary for effective communication in a business. They believe that trust and candor are paramount to getting good things done, to doing good work. You must trust the people you're working with. You have to trust that if you have an idea and that you speak it, you won't be rejected. You have to have trust in the people around you that you can voice your opinion or even voice when you feel that something's not a good idea and not be attacked for it. So there must be trust, but there also must be candor. We have to be honest and transparent. And those two things actually have a cyclical nature. The more you trust someone, the more candid you can be. And the more candid you are with someone, the more that they trust you and you trust them. So we have to get back to this idea of trust and candor with those who are close to us. And it is the opposite of the direction culture is going. Another Pew Research Center study showed that 70% of Americans believe that there is a decreasing level of trust between people. 
70% of Americans believe trust is on the decline between people. Now listen, if you're like me and you have to drive on I-4, you cannot trust people there. It's okay. You got to watch out. It's dangerous. But when it comes to building relationships, And opening the door to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, there must be relationships of trust and candor. And I want to encourage you, Christians, if you are sharing the gospel and you have someone that has questions that you don't know the answers to about your faith, it's okay to say, I don't know. It will actually build trust when you tell someone, you know what, I'm not sure, let me find out, and let's have another conversation about this later. It's okay to do that. Now back to Jesus and Nicodemus. Somehow there was a relationship of trust that these two men could meet in the middle of the night. Again in John chapter 3 verse 1 it says, There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus at night. And remember, the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus, and yet Jesus had some kind of relationship of trust with this man to meet him in the middle of the night. And in the middle of the night, Nicodemus says, We know that you have come from God. That line is also a signal of trust. Nicodemus, where his peers, again, hated Jesus, Nicodemus is saying, listen, we know you're from God. We know you're doing these miracles, and we are actually wanting to know who you are. Nicodemus is being candid with Jesus in this moment. They had a relationship of trust. This is why it's so important that as Christians, we need to operate in the fruits of the Spirit. When you give your life to Christ and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, He empowers you to have the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those are the fruits of the Spirit that we should be exuding with the people around us to build those relationships of trust and candor. We should be kind. I was actually on my way here and the traffic was terrible, and by traffic I mean the drive through at Starbucks. It's packed, just wall to wall. And I pulled up to the ordering window, and I asked for this thing, and I could tell the, the woman on the other side was very flustered. She said, our machines are down, we don't have this, we don't have that. I said, listen, I just need caffeine. Do you have any caffeine in the place? She said, yeah, we could do that. And so I pull up to the window, and she tells me the price, and I say, I think it's supposed to be more than that. And she said, you know what, you were just so nice, I took half off. And you know, it hit me in that moment. I didn't do anything out of my way to be nice. I just wasn't mean. And it means that there were many others throughout that woman's day who were mean and who were angry in that drive-thru, that just not being mean was nice enough. I want to tell you, I think the bar is much lower than we think when it comes to kindness. We think we have to do these exuberant acts of generosity, but honestly, it's those small moments of kindness that can make a world of difference in someone's day. So just take a moment and be kind to someone, and it will open the door to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus did with Nicodemus. He just showed kindness. And as Nicodemus is asking these questions, Jesus answers in this way, John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus says, I assure you, unless someone is born again, this is where we get this term, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I love this response because Jesus is not telling Nicodemus, listen, you got it wrong, you blew it, here's the truth, get it right. Jesus is engaging in conversation. He said, listen, you actually have to be born again. 
And I think Jesus knew that would elicit more questions, which is what we should be doing. Have conversations that elicit more questions so you can go deeper in conversation. And once they've developed a rapport, they have a relationship, then Jesus drops the truth. In John chapter 3, verse 13, it says this, No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended, the Son of Man, who is Jesus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. You see, once Jesus showed kindness and trust and was candid with Nicodemus, then Jesus tells him the truth. You must believe in Jesus Christ. Which brings me to my second point. We need to have trust and candor, but we also need to share the gospel with a gentle confidence. Point number two, we need to have a gentle confidence. We need to be confident. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. First Peter 3.15 even puts it this way, always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. We should be ready at all times to share our faith with someone who is seeking. Unfortunately, the percentage of Christians today who believe it's their responsibility to share the gospel is decreasing. In a study by Barna, in 1993, 30 years ago, which sounds insane. I don't know how that's 30 years ago. In 1993, 89% of Christians believed it was their responsibility to share their faith. 89%. Today, that has dropped to just 64%. Only 64% of Christians believe it's on them to share the gospel, that they are supposed to spread the word of Jesus Christ. Listen, let me tell you, the Bible makes it clear. It is our responsibility as Christians to share the truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 10, you can clap for that, amen, our responsibility. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 10, verse 16, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, you be as shrewd as serpents and as harmless as, as doves. Be wise but be gentle, as harmless as doves. And if you had not read it before, the Great Commission is when Jesus spoke to his disciples right before he ascended into heaven, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. I think this makes it clear. Jesus came near to his disciples and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember... I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus tells his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of other nations. Now let me ask you, if you are a follower of Jesus today, what does that make you? A? That's okay. There was about 10 people that got it. So we're going to do it one more time. I'm going to give you a hint. The answer is disciple. So if you follow Jesus today, that makes you a? Ah. So if we are disciples today, the Great Commission is also for us today. Just as Jesus was talking to his disciples then, he is talking to us now. Go and make disciples of all nations. That is why we need to train ourselves in the knowledge of Scripture and in the Lord. What more important thing could there be? That is why here at the cross, and we have many ways for you to learn about the things of God. Why don't you just clap like crazy when I mention these? Because we have life groups where you can learn about things of Jesus. We have sisterhood studies where ladies can go learn. We have Iron Men where the men can go learn. And we have the Bible College here at the Crossing Church. 
We have many, many ways where you can train yourself up to understand Scripture and know the ways of the Lord. Ephesians 3.16 puts it this way, I pray that God may grant you, according to his riches and glory, to be strengthened with power. That's the confidence in the inner man through his Holy Spirit that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love. That's the gentle part. A gentle confidence. Strengthened in power by the Holy Spirit, established in love, being gentle with those around you. There's an incredible example of this. And I wish there was a more recent example, but honestly, no one has done it as well as the evangelist Billy Graham. Billy Graham went on the Woody Allen talk show in 1969. And if you're not familiar, Woody Allen was an agnostic. He was a crass comedian. It would be like today if you were to go on The View. You're going into the lion's den, if you know what I mean. And yet Billy Graham accepts the invitation to go on this talk show with Woody Allen. And we're going to watch a clip from it, and I want you to observe how the wisdom that Billy Graham exudes as he speaks, and still the confidence that he has and the, the firm stance he has in morality, and even both of these men tell each other they disagree with each other, and yet they can still have a wonderful conversation. Check it out. My next guest is a, um, is a very charming and uh, provocative gentleman. Um, he, uh, whether you agree with his point of view or not on things, uh, he's always extremely interesting to, um, to talk to. I, I don't agree with him on a great many subjects. There are a few that we do agree on. Um, but uh, he certainly is the best in the world at what he does. And uh, Mr. Billy Graham. Very nice to be with you, Woody. And I'd like to say that there's some things I don't agree with you on. <laughs> I know, but it's a question of which one of us will be converted by the time. <laughs> I, I hope I can convert you to um, agnosticism by the time the show is over. Well, I've had a lot of people try. And uh, the more they try, the firmer I get uh, in my conviction. Can I ask you what your favorite commandment is? Well, uh, uh, right now, with a lot of teenagers, it's to honor thy father and thy mother. Really? That's, that's, my, that's my least favorite commandment. <laughs> it's funny. I'm, I'm saving up my money as I get uh, a little uh, successful in show business. And I'm, when I get a little bit older, I'm going to put my parents in a home. That, that's very good. I hope it'll be in a home with you. No, no, no. No. <laughs> Are there any questions? <laughs> Mr. Graham, I read that you don't believe in premarital sexual relations. Is this true? Uh, it's not a matter of what I believe. It's uh, what the Bible teaches. And the Bible teaches that premarital sexual relations are wrong. Yeah, that's funny. To me, that would be like, uh, you know, like driving a car, you know, getting a driver's license without a learner's permit first. Well, well let's, uh, let's just, uh, let's just uh, see. Now, you know, we have to have rules to live by. And uh, what we're saying is we're going to play a baseball game without any rules. We're going to play a football game without any rules. We're going to live a life without any moral rules. Well, God has laid down certain rules and said, if you want the best of life and you want complete happiness and fulfillment, live by these rules. And one of those rules is that thou shalt not commit immorality. Ah, but wait a minute. But if you're, say you're dating a girl, right? Well, I, uh, I don't intend to date anyone. No, no, but I mean... <laughs> Come on, give it up for Billy Graham. 
What a wonderful moment where Billy Graham can be funny and winsome and still say, no, this is wrong, and we can disagree with it for now, but let's keep talking. Let's keep talking. I just love how funny he was in that moment. And I believe he was operating with the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment too, that the Spirit was helping him know how to answer these questions. So we need to have trust and candor with those around us. We need to have a gentle confidence as we share the gospel. And finally, number three, we need to meet their need. We need to meet the needs of the people around us. Nicodemus was seeking answers, and so Jesus met that need. He answered him. But throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus met the needs of everyone around him. Some needed physical healing, and so Jesus healed them. Blind eyes were opened. Lame walked. Some needed spiritual healing, and Jesus healed that too. And some were just hungry, maybe like some of you right now. (laughs) But even those people, Jesus met that need too. In John chapter 6, it's one of the great miracles of Jesus' ministry, the feeding of the 5,000. And it says this, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. They sat down. The men numbered 5,000, meaning there was even more than that number. And Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. It was like Olive Garden. The bread just kept coming, you know? So Jesus met their physical need first. He said, I know you're hungry. Here is bread. And then watch what he does next. Later in that same chapter, John 6, verse 25, they found him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I assure you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. He's like, I know you're here for more bread. That's cool. I know it. But don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked him. Jesus replied in this way, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Amen. Come on, you can give it up. so beautiful where Jesus sees, look, you have a physical need. You are hungry and you know the answer is to eat. So I will give you bread. But what you also have is a deeper hunger. You have a hunger for purpose and for fulfillment. You have this feeling that there is a supernatural, but you can't put your finger on it. Well, that is a spiritual need. And Jesus says, I can meet that need too, because I am the bread of life. And I will be that purpose and fulfillment. He is the one who can meet that need for all of eternity for all of us. And so if you would bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Some of you may be here thinking, that's me. I know that I'm looking for fulfillment and purpose everywhere else, but it can only be found in this person, Jesus Christ. Well, he died for you so that you could come to him and partake of this bread of life that will sustain you for eternity. And so we're going to pray a simple prayer. Everyone is going to pray this together. But if that's you, you're saying, I want the bread of life. I want you to pray it from the bottom of your heart. Everyone here say, Dear Jesus, forgive me. Give me a new start. 
Make me brand new. Give me purpose. Give me fulfillment. And teach me to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed that message, You Can't Cancel Kindness. You can watch all of our messages on demand and our live broadcasts on our YouTube channel. You can subscribe at youtube.com slash crossingchurch. We look forward to worshiping with you in person at one of our three locations this weekend. For all times and locations, visit wearecrossing.com.